Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. This week we'll be talking about the book of Esther. I love this story for so many reasons. It's a story full of passion, love, lust, betrayal, gossip, dramatic irony, and murder. It reminds me that we don't have to be extraordinary for God to choose us to make a difference. Queen Esther reminds me of one of my heroes, Rosa Parks. Her refusal to sit at the back of the bus sparked great change. Her bravery made a difference for millions of people. I hope we all see that we need more Esthers in the world, in our towns, in our cities, in our churches. Why? Because Esther's character of wis- characteristics of wisdom, boldness, courage, faith, and humility are those of a leader that can get things done, make things happen, even when faced with adversity. So let me begin. A long, long time ago, in a biblical land far, far away, in the city of Susa, in Persia, around 359 BC, the previous upheaval of the Israel kingdom is no longer a threat, as 150 years have gone by since the Babylonians raided Jerusalem, capturing many Jews and relocating them to Susa. The new king has allowed many Jews to return to Jerusalem. However, there are many Jews who have made their home in Susa and do not want to return to the Holy Land. King Xerxes rules over the land of Persia. His apprentice Haman, the evil kingsman, schemes as he looks to gain power over the kingdom. In this city also lives Esther, a beautiful Jewish woman who hides her nationality among the Persian people and her cousin Mordecai, who has taken upon himself to raise Esther. Act 1. The story begins with Xerxes holding a lavish banquet, basically to show off his greatness. At the end of this week-long banquet, Xerxes had, had too much to drink, and he sends for his queen Vashti. He demands her to walk around naked in front of all his guests, and she refuses. Her refusal insults the king, and he banishes her, stripping her of her title. With no queen by his side, Xerxes begins to fret over his loss of his queen, and his young attendants suggest that Xerxes begin a search for a new king. One by one, the most beautiful women in the kingdom are called to the castle. Esther is one of these women chosen to visit the king. Esther immediately wins the heart of the king's eunuch in charge of the harem. And this tells us that she's just not beautiful, but she was warm and something made people love her. And then through her extraordinary talents in the bedroom, wink, wink, and her beauty, she wins the heart of the king and becomes queen. Act two. Meanwhile, just outside the palace gates, Mordecai hears that two kingsmen are planning to assassinate the king. He tells, them, he tells Esther about the conspiracy, and she reports it to Xerxes, giving the, the credit to Mordecai. The plot to kill the king is stopped, and the kingsmen are killed. Mordecai's act of kindness is noted in the king's chronicles. Act 3. The king then promotes a new kingman named Haman. Haman is self-important, self-promoting, and intoxicated by his own success. He expects everyone to bow down to him, but Mordecai refuses. 
So Haman decides to take revenge, not only on Mordecai, but all of the Jewish people. He tricks the king into signing an order that sentences every Jew in the kingdom to be killed on a certain day near the end of the year. Act 4. Upon finding about the or this order, Mordecai contacts Esther to ask her to intervene with the king, and she re reluctantly agrees. Esther knows that to be a peer before the king without being examined risks punishment by death. But this situation warrants that risk. So she dresses in her royal clothes and stands in the inner court where Xerxes can see her and her faith and her courage are rewarded. Xerxes sees her and holds out his golden scepter as an invitation for her to enter. He then offers her whatever she wants, whatever she asks for. But then an interesting thing happens. She doesn't make a request. She simply invites the king and Hammond to come for dinner that night. After dinner, the king asks Esther again what he can do for her. And instead of responding, she again invites the two men for dinner the next night. Hammond leaves Esther's house in high spirits because he's received his special attention from the king and the queen. Then he sees Mordecai and his mood is ruined. He's in such a rage, he goes home and arranges to have a great gallows built to hang Mordecai. Act 5. Meanwhile, the king is having trouble sleeping, and he asks for his chronicles to be brought to him. As he reads through his chronicles, he comes across the story of Mordecai saving the king from being assassinated, and he asks his advisor if anything had been done to thank Mordecai. When the advisor says no, the king is astonished that Mordecai's act has gone unnoticed. So he immediately calls up Haman and asks him what he'd do for a man who pleases the king. Haman, thinking the king is speaking of himself, answers, prayed him through the town on the back of a donkey wearing the king's robe. The, th the king thinks this is a splendid idea and demands Haman to parade Mordecai through the streets on a donkey wearing his robe. Remember, Mordecai is Haman's enemy. Can you imagine how furious he is? The next night, the king and Haman arrive at Esther's house and are enjoying a glass of wine when the king asks Esther for a third time what Esther's petition and request is. And Esther replies, Let my life be given to me, that is my petition, and the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, and I and my people to be destroyed and to be killed and to be annihilated. Imagine how Haman is feeling at this moment. He hasn't realized that Esther was a Jew and he has sentenced, he has sentenced her to death. The king is very angry and he walks out of the room into the garden to calm down before he decides what to do with Haman. And when he leaves, Haman throws himself at Esther's feet, begging her to spare his life. But just at that moment, the king returns and finds Haman laying across the couch where Esther is lying. And that is the last straw. He has him arrested and hung on the very gallows Haman had built for Mordecai. Mordecai is then promoted to the position that Haman had held as kingsman. Act 7. But there's still a problem. The king's order about the Jews. Esther pleads with the king to revoke it, but he can't. 
In Persia, once the king's seal is put on a law, it cannot be revoked. Instead, he allows Mordecai to write a second law, allowing the Jews to gather themselves and defend themselves on the appointed day. When the day comes, those who seek to attack them are killed, though the majority of the population side with the Jews. The battle ends is commemorated with the Feast of Purim that has been celebrated by the Jewish people ever since. The end. That's quite the story, hey? As I ponder how the story is relevant to the world we live in, I wonder who the Hammonds are in the world that walk among us, eager to profit from the vulnerability of others. I wonder who is brave enough to stand up to those who use others to become richer and more powerful. I wonder who the kings are in our world that still waver and stumble, so preoccupied with power they forget what is good for the common good. I'm reminded that we can use our democratic power to influence these kings by voting, working in our communities, staying informed and speaking up. I wonder who the Mordecais are in our worlds that stand outside the doors, reminding us to challenge the bullies in the streets and our governments and remind us to use our power in the service of love. I wonder what it'd be like to be more like Esther, more like Rosa Parks, to stand up for those who don't have a voice. I wonder if George Floyd, Linda Scott, Melanie Geddes, Belbro Singh Sodi, Aaron Webster, and thousands and thousands of other Indigenous, Black, and Asian marginalized people had to actually die if there were more Esthers in the world. And lastly, I'm reminded that Esther was not alone in her battle, and we are not alone in ours. It's through the love and the mercy and liberation of God we are given the courage to stand up for all of God's people. We are not alone. We live in God's world. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.